just, every week we're just so blessed with our music and creative elements here at the church. And obviously Kate is a gifted musician, but I think one of her gifts too is really to bring in other people, to involve other people, which is just such a blessing to us. So Kate, we're grateful. Thank you for your hard work. I never would have thought that we would sing Nearer My God to Thee with the, a trombone as an accompaniment. I like it. I want to invite you today to join the resistance. For the last two months, we've been working through the book of Revelation. And I have just come to have a deep appreciation for this book. It, it is mysterious. It's opaque. At times it's terrifying. I don't understand every part of it. It's also very beautiful at times. But whether you've been with us for the last nine weeks, or this is the first time you've ever been in church and heard anything about the book of Revelation, I want to give you today a way of understanding this book, a way of understanding the Christian life more generally and then most personally and specifically, I want to give you a way of thinking about every aspect, every choice, every decision, every morning, every evening, every afternoon of your life. And I want to invite you today to join the resistance. Revelation comes at the end of the Bible. It was put there for a reason and we're going to read today the end of the end. This is the very end of the story of the scriptures. Revelation chapter 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the, new he for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. If there was ever a memory verse to write on your mirror or keep in your wallet, put on the visor of your car, it's that one. These words are trustworthy and true. Then John sees the rest of this heavenly city. I want to skip ahead to chapter 22, verse 1. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And this is maybe my favorite verse in all of Revelation. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Thanks be to God for his word today. Let's pray. Lord, take my words this morning and speak through them. And then take our thoughts and open them up and think through them. And consequently, Lord, take our hearts and light them afire with love for you and for your world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is what we pray. 
Amen. I want to invite you today to join the resistance. Revelation is the English term of a Latin translation of the Greek word for apocalypse. And apocalypse really just means like the raising of a curtain. It's the revealing. It's showing us, as we talked about several weeks ago, there's more than what we can see. And the reason we call it revelation and not revelations, which a lot of people like to say, is because there's one overwhelming vision that John sees. It's a spiritual vision given to John, and one of the reasons it's so difficult is because it uses spiritual dreamlike language. But the overall message of the book of Revelation is very clear. And one of its purposes is to invite the people who hear it, as it says earlier in the book, those who have ears to hear, to invite them to join the resistance or to be a part of the people of God. John sees all kinds of great things, but he sees all the way through to the end of history, to what we've just read, to see where things are going to go, to see what God is doing. They're about to make a, a prequel to the movie The Wizard of Oz. Have you seen the trailer? I think a commercial for it was at halftime with the Super Bowl. And it's about, as far as I can tell, how the guy who becomes the wizard becomes the wizard. It's his early story. But, of course, in the old Wizard of Oz movie, before you get to the end of the movie, the Wizard of Oz is, Oz is a big deal. He's sort of scary. He controls everything. And what Dorothy and her buddies are doing the whole movie is trying to make it to see him. And you'll know, of course, if you've seen the end of the movie, that it's terrifying at first. And then when the curtain pulls back, you realize it's just a little old man. And the things that they had been afraid of, they no longer to be afraid of again. In a way, it's an imperfect metaphor, but in a way, that's what's happening in the book of Revelation. John is pulling back the curtain to show us the true nature of reality. And one of the things that's true about my life, and maybe it's true of yours too, is that I live most of the time buying into the lies and seeing and believing the false things of this world. And the reason I love Revelation is that it sort of shocks me, it wakes me up, it helps me see the way history is really going. And the where, the place that history is going is to a, a new creation, in the words of the scripture. Where all things are renewed, and all the ugly things of this world, the betrayals, the deaths, the sicknesses, the cancers, all those things are passed away. That's where history is going. Are you here today and you're struggling with something heavy? Financial difficulty, uh, an addiction, serious relational betrayal and brokenness? Are you dealing with the sickness? Are you dealing with the grief or a mourning? Do you read the newspapers and look around at the world and read about children growing up in failing schools? Intractable arguments in the Middle East? Terrorism? Pollution? Do you read about these things? And are grieved by them. The message of Revelation to you is, it's not going to be that way forever. Those things are temporary and passing away. And God, in fact, is even right now in the middle of renewing them. Making all things new. One day, the ugly things of this world will have been overcome by the redemptive power of God. But the reason Revelation is valuable is not just because it tells us where things are going, although that's appropriate to think about. And if you're in a heavy place this morning, I encourage you to 
take the bulletin home, mark those scripture passages up, and read them over to yourself. But the reason Revelation is important is because right now we don't live in a world in which that's totally the case. In fact, maybe you haven't been in church for a long time or, or you struggle with the faith, and maybe one of the things you struggle with, and I, maybe if you're here, you're a middle school student, a high school student, you've maybe been struggling with this, is, well, if God is so good, then why, the world, why is the world the way it is now? You've probably asked that in your life. I asked that. In fact, I asked that a lot. And the answer to that question is what John is trying to get us to see through the recording of his vision in the book of Revelation. I haven't been in ministry very long, so maybe it will happen one day. But I have here a little, it's called the Pastor's Pocket Edition of the United Methodist Book of Worship. It's a, it's a series of prayers and worship services, including weddings. I have never yet been called at the last minute to somebody to do a quick marriage. Uh, it would be sort of fun if that were to happen. Uh, I guess as long as there wasn't a shotgun involved. Um, I've never been called at the last minute to do a quick wedding, and there's a wedding service in here. But I've started carrying this around with me because what I have been called, even in my brief ministry here at this place, I have been called at the last minute to people who are about to die. And so I always carry this with me because it has a series of prayers for ministry with the dying, which is very helpful so that I'm not there with just my own words, but with the words of the church. I had an experience like that this week. There's a, a woman who has been sick for a long time, and the family called me and said, we think today's the day. And so I took my book with me and went to see them in the hospital. And the family's gathered around, and this is not an old woman. And even when old people die, I think we grieve, but particularly when people die before what we call their time, it just doesn't seem right. And I have the words of the service, and I had my hand on her head, and I said, Lord Jesus Christ, deliver your daughter from all evil, set her free from every bond, that she may rest with your saints in the joy of your eternal home forever and ever. And we stood around the bed, and the family said their goodbyes, and we prayed. And as I was driving home later, I just thought, once again, and this is not an original thought with me, it's not right. It's not right. You can't see somebody dying and see the family grieving their wife, their mother, their friend, their daughter. You can't see that and think this is okay. Now, there, there are all kinds of really fascinating and interesting intellectual debates, uh, reasons for God. And obviously, I'm a Christian, and I believe it is more reasonable to believe in God and more reasonable to believe in the resurrection of Jesus than not. But I think that one of the most powerful, I don't know what you want to call it, not arguments, but reasons for the faith is not an argument, not like an intellectual argument, but it's just the fact that every human being who has ever lived in any culture, in any time and place, has a deep sense in his or her heart that the way the world is is not the way the world's supposed to be. I don't know who you are today or what all your stories are, but I guarantee you there's a part of you that looks around the world and thinks, that's just not right. And as I was leaving that hospital room, I was reminded again that the way the world is just isn't right. And of course, the message of John's revelation and the message of the whole scriptures is that you're correct. It's not the way God wants it to be, and it's not the way that it will ultimately be. And yet here we are, we still live in the midst of a world in which suffering is a part of the world, 
in which tears are part of the world, in which mourning and grieving and death is a part of the world in which we live. And that's why I think for you and me today, as we finish looking at this book, the most important thing that you and I can do is to join the resistance. To join the resistance. For a time, I lived in Bedford, Virginia with my family. It's a small town between Lynchburg and Roanoke in central Virginia. Uh, Not well known for many reasons, but it is known for one reason. If you've ever heard of it, if you're not from Virginia and you've heard of it, it's because of a book that came out a couple years ago called The Bedford Boys. It's a book about World War II. It's the kind of book, let's be honest, that you buy for your dad at Father's Day. You know those books? There's stacks from there in Costco and Sam's Club because if you go in at the last minute and you buy it for your dad or your grandfather or somebody else on Father's Day, it's that sort of book. And it tells the story of this one small National Guard unit from Bedford, Virginia that was involved at D-Day. It doesn't happen that way anymore, I I think, because of some of the things that have happened. But back then, you could join up and enlist with all your buddies all at once and be in the same unit. And these guys from Bedford were part of the very earliest first waves at D-Day in June 6, 1944. And they were at Omaha Beach in Normandy. Several weeks later, in fact it was July 16th, a bunch of telegrams started coming into Bedford. And after all the records had been cleared and all the truth were known, it turned out that 22, can you believe that? 22 young men from Bedford, Virginia, died at D-Day on June 6, 1944. It's a small town. There was a woman in my church who lost two of her brothers that day. Can you believe that? And so today, Bedford is known as the site of the National D-Day Memorial. And in 2001, when the memorial was dedicated, President Bush came and tons of people and dignitaries came to dedicate the memorial. Now, young men die all the time, and they have since time and memorial in wars and violence and evil. But the reason we commemorate D-Day particularly and the sacrifice of Bedford is because we know D-Day was an important event in the story of World War II. The reason the Allies paid such a cost in lives and the reason a little town like Bedford paid such a cost is because it was clear to everybody, the Nazis and the Allies, that if the Allies could gain a beachhead in Normandy in France, Hitler's days were numbered. And, of course, that's true. Now, there was a long time. There was over uh, almost another year of terrible fighting, lots of loss of life from between June 6, 1944 and the end of the war in April 1945. But once the Allies had a beachhead in Normandy, the end was a foregone conclusion. So imagine. Imagine you're living in occupied Paris, which for four years in 1944 had been under the boot of the Nazis. Now, like all false powers, the Nazis wouldn't have wanted to talk about the truth and that their days were numbered. They would have tried to suppress the truth. The Babylonian empires of this world always want to keep you from seeing the way things really are. But still, I I imagine the word got out. In fact, I imagine the French resistance passed the message on from one to the other. A lot of the people during the Nazi occupation of France went along with it. But some people took part, and it was a small number, in fact, took part in what we call the resistance. And I just like to think about what would it have been like to be a part of the resistance in Paris and to get the whispered news to you 
that the Allies had, in fact, had a successful invasion of Normandy in June 1944. See, what you would have thought was, no matter how bad things look right now, their days are numbered. There will come a time in which Paris will be liberated. And if you were ever waffling in your commitment to the resistance and wondering if you should just lay low, take the easy way out, that would have energized you and said, no way, the end is coming, I'm going to be a part of it. When you use analogies and metaphors in church, they never totally line up. They're always imperfect. So it's not a perfect example. But in a way, what John's revelation is trying to tell us is that the bad things have already been defeated and their days are numbered. And in a way, when I was in the hospital room with the grieving family, when I read from the book of worship and we prayed the 23rd Psalm together, in a sense what I was doing is this. I was saying, hey, did you hear? Death's been defeated. He's already lost. You don't need to be afraid. God's making all things new. So, hey, come on. Join the resistance. Hey, shh, shh. Did you hear? That's what John's telling us. Did you hear? Death's been defeated. He's already lost. You don't have to be afraid. God's making all things new. Come on. Join the resistance. In fact, I like to say that that is, in fact, the message of the church. The church is not about following a bunch of rules, wearing the right clothes, going to the right place, thinking the right way. It's not just about being right for right's sake. It's not a God who shakes his finger at us and tells us to be moral or not. The church, in fact, is like a resistance movement in which the reason that the Lord teaches us to live the way Christ lived is so that we're better able to participate in the resistance. So we're better able to resist the urge to conform to the Babylonian powers and principalities of this world. Hey, did you hear? Come on and join the resistance. Now I've been reading a book about Paris in the 1950s. And one of the things that the writer says, he says, you know, you know, 10 years after the war, everybody wanted to claim that he or she had been part of the resistance. When the truth of it was, it was not a large section of the, of the society. But everybody wanted to claim later, oh yeah, I was. One of the things that John tells us in his vision is that he, history as we know it is not going to go on forever. Now I don't know when what John sees is going to take place in maybe thousands of years from now, maybe tomorrow, I don't know. But it's not going to go on forever. And you and I don't have an unlimited number of days in front of us. One of the things a lot of us like to do is we say, well, I'll get around to that sometime. I'll make a commitment to Christ sometime. I know there's that element of my life which is not part of God's will for me. It doesn't fit in the work of the resistance, but I'm not going to take care of that yet because I have time. I just want to encourage you, join the resistance. Don't wait. Don't wait. Now, of course, the way the resistance works is that you're, you're sort of undercover. You don't look any different than anybody else. You don't talk any different than anybody else necessarily, but 
It's through your actions, what you choose to do is whether you're part of the resistance or not. Wouldn't it be great if what people said about our church is, boy, the way those folks live shows at least they're committed to Christ. I may not agree with everything they believe. I may not be on board with all that. But boy, they sure are committed to loving God and loving neighbor, whatever the cost. They sure are committed to saying, nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee, even though it be a cross that raises me, as we sang earlier. What a great thing that could be said about somebody. In fact, what if, rather than thinking about your life as a bunch of rules to follow, what if, in fact, God has invited you to take part in faithful acts of sabotage? Come on, join the resistance. Every time you choose to forgive when the person isn't worthy of being forgiven, except for what God has done for them, you're part of the resistance. You're tearing down the walls of Babylon. It's sabotage. Every time you choose to be generous when all the world is telling you to hoard and to be greedy, it's an act of sabotage. Now, I tell you, it's an imperfect metaphor. So, I just got to say, I think some of us need to be careful of being too far underground. You know, some of us are so deep undercover with regard to our commitment to Christ, nobody would ever catch us. (laughs) There's a place to be subtle. And there's a place to be discreet, but you can't be neutral forever. You can't be, oh, I, I, I was always part of the resistance. You just couldn't see it. Nobody else knew it. But see, the message of John is, is just that message, that whispered message. Hey, shh, come here. Death's been defeated. He's already lost. Don't be afraid. God's making all things new. Come. Be part of the resistance. And if you want to know how do we know this is true, John tells us we know it's true because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. At the center of John's vision, seated on the throne, is the lamb that was slain. Because of what God was able to do on the cross and on Easter Sunday morning, we know that regardless of what comes at us, the redemptive love of God is powerful and stronger than anything else. Because at the center of the universe is a God who loves us so much he gave himself for us. We know that regardless of how things currently look, regardless of how black it seems on the Good Fridays of this world, Easter Sunday is coming and God is making all things new. I'd like to encourage us here today to be people who think about dedicating every aspect of our lives, the way we talk to our children, the people we date, the way we marry, the business deals we sign, the cars we buy, every aspect of our life, the media we consume, as being choices either as part of the resistance to people who follow Christ, the church, or the other side. There's no middle ground. And I'd like you and I to be the kind of people that invite other people in. Because John's message to us is very clear. It's clear where history is going once the curtains have been pulled back. And the message of Revelation ultimately is, despite all the things that are difficult, the things we don't understand, the opacity, the terrifying images, the message of Revelation to you and me today is ultimately this. Hey, death's been defeated. Because of what Christ has done, he is already lost. Therefore, don't be afraid. God's making all things new. Join the resistance. 
May God give us the grace to respond to his gracious message. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.